First Timothy chapter two, verses nine and 10. Now, before I read this, you'll remember when we started this series in first Timothy, I told you, I said, there are some things in first Timothy that are controversial. I said, there are some passages that, that tend to be kind of controversial. We've, we're kind of hitting some of those. Okay. We're, we're not getting fully into uh, some of them, but today is a little bit. So what I need you to do before we read our scripture, have you ever heard a response of readings in church? where like, I say something, you say it back. We're going to do that. Okay. Are you ready? I want you to repeat after me. I will not be mad at Pastor Jason for speaking God's truth. You do not know how much that makes me feel. Thank you. I just, I feel great freedom now that I can say whatever I need to say. And you have promised in church, you said it, that you wouldn't be mad. I will remember. All right, verse, uh, we're going to actually start in verse 8 because it's got the verb that we need, but the verses we're going to look at are 9 and 10. I desire that then in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands with ang- without anger or quarreling. Then here's our passage. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. With good works. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Uh, God, I thank you that we can trust it, that it gives us everything that we need uh, to live a life of faith, to live a life that honors you, that glorifies you. And God, please help us today to receive your word, uh, to obey it, and, and to follow you. Father, please speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are times in the Bible, and this is one of them, where, where the Bible addresses specific groups of people. And whenever you find those places, those tend to be kind of controversial places because nobody likes to be pointed out, do they? Nobody likes to be singled out. When you're in, when you're in your staff meeting at work, and you know, no, nobody likes it when someone says, all right, now I need to talk to this department. And you're like, oh, no, you know. Uh, no, no, nobody likes to be singled out. And so really none of the passages in the Bible that say, all right, men, all right, women, all those tend to be a little, not, not everybody's favorite. Last week, we looked at the, the passage toward men. And, and Paul had a very good reason to single out men. You know, he, he talked about, guys, I want you to be men who pray. I want you to be men who, who initiate, who lead out in prayer in your families. Now, why did God say that? Why, why, did, why did God want that in the Word, specifically for men to pray? It's not that women shouldn't pray, but it's that men have a particular responsibility in the family. And that is to be leaders of their family. That is to be spiritual leaders of their home. And so Paul goes ahead and singles them out. He says, all right, guys, this particularly, especially applies to you. You need to lead your family in prayer. You need to be the initiators, bringing your family before the throne of God. All right. Now in verse nine, he turns to the women and he specifically addresses them. And the reason that he does is because women are created in such a way that they have a greater responsibility to be stewards of over this particular area, over the area of modesty and dress and how they present themselves physically. Now, why is that? Why, why would we say that? Well, if we look in our Bibles, we understand that both men and women, if you were here in our Genesis series, you heard this, men and women are created in the image of God. You remember that in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2 where it says, that God created them male and female in the image of God. God created them. And, and what that means is that we represent or we, we, we are image bearers of, of parts of God's character, parts of his, his attributes. Okay, we, we bear image of those. Now, 
Specifically in being male and female, we bear image to different parts of God's character. Women are, are, are specially gifted in the area of bearing, bearing the image of God in his beauty. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is radiant? Do you know that? In Revelation, it talks about the radiance of his beauty, the splendor, okay? Now, what that means is when you see Jesus Christ, you're going to be overwhelmed at his glory, all right? You're going to be overwhelmed at the visual, just incredibleness of the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, God in creating mankind has created women to be specifically uh, image bearers of his beauty. Okay? So, said very simply, God made women beautiful. Is that, is that news to anybody? Is anybody, is anybody like, shocker, didn't know that one. Did anybody, anybody not know that? Okay, I probably, you all already knew that. You just probably, it's a little awkward to hear me say it, okay? But, but God created women beautiful. Not only that, but God made men He wired them to greatly enjoy the beauty of their, hear this out, wife. Okay, did you hear me? Wife. Okay, I did not say women in general. I said of their wife. God's plan is that a man, and he made a man this way, that he would be greatly uh, delighting in the beauty of specifically one woman, his wife. Wife. Now, there's abundant evidence in the Bible for this. In fact, there are places in the Bible that it actually commands men to delight in the beauty of their wives. Listen to one. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, very interesting verses. It says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. The Bible tells a man, rejoice in your wife. Rejoice in her. Be glad in her. Just, just be overwhelmed with joy in her. It gets even, even, even more specific. A lovely dear, a graceful though. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Bible's not talking about drinking a bunch of beer or wine. When it says intoxicated, it means you ought to be overwhelmed with, with, with being happy and, and, and being content and being satisfied with the beauty of your wife. And so we see the Bible is being very specific about God, how God created a man, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Now notice, he doesn't ever tell women that. Okay, you can look through your Bibles. I can't think of one place where he says to a wife, man, you ought to delight in the handsomeness of your husband. Okay, he, just, he doesn't ever say it. And the reason he doesn't ever say it is because that's not the way he has wired things. God has wired men. He's wired women to be beautiful. He's wired men to delight in the beauty of their wife. And that has a very particular function in the marriage relationship. Okay, as a man delights in the beauty of his wife, he responds in several things. Loving pursuit. It is good for a man to love pursue his wife. It is good for a man to be a fierce protector of his wife, to be a, to be in continual provision for his wife, to be a servant leader for his wife. Those are good things. God knows what he's doing. God created it that way. And we ought to acknowledge that and say, okay, that's the way it is. And it's good that God created us that way. Wives, it is good for you to enjoy the attention And the affection of, listen, listen, not all men. I did not say that. The Bible did not say that. That would be sin. It would be sin for me to tell you, for you to believe that that it's okay for you to enjoy the attention and the affection of a bunch of different men. No, of your husband. Okay? Of your husband. But that is a good thing. That's a good thing for you to enjoy the attention and the affection of your husband. I, I, I get irritated when, when, when I'm in counseling and I hear wives, they'll say, you know, the husband will say, well, I really think you're beautiful. And, and, the, and the wife's like, you do not, you know, you're lying. You know, I, I've heard women say that you're lying. You don't really believe that you're just saying that, you know, 
You know, I've let myself go. And I, you know, don't, don't do that. You've got to understand that God has wired, especially a Christian husband. You know why I say especially a Christian husband? Because a Christian husband, he's, he's trying to obey Jesus. And so he's channeling all of what God has put in him into one woman. You know, he's focusing his attention and his affection and his response to beauty to one particular woman. And that is a good thing. And so we ought to acknowledge that. We ought to, we ought to obey that. We ought to, we ought to follow that. Sarah, Rebecca, Abigail, Esther, all these women in the Bible are godly, just faith-oriented women, and all of them are described as very beautiful. Now, why, why, why would the Bible point that out? If it's not significant, if it doesn't have a place in, in God's economy for their lives and what God was doing with them. He said they were very beautiful, all godly women. Folks, I emphasize this because I want you to see this is God's idea. It's God's plan. God has given a strong and compelling power. You hear that? Power to the woman. Dana Gresh has written a bunch of great stuff on this. Uh, we have some books of hers on our bookshelf, by the way. One of them's The Bride Were White. Um, the one that I read, Michelle, Michelle gave it to me to read uh, this week. It's called uh, Secret Keepers. It, it's actually one written to teenage girls. So it was right on my reading level. It had pictures and, you know, it wasn't very long, you know. So it's a good one for me to read. But, but she calls this, this power, she calls it the allure. A-L-L-U-R-E, the allure. And, and I would just call it beauty. Um, but, but, but I see it, I believe it. And, and not only do I see it in the scriptures... Everybody already knows this, okay? Marketing agencies know this. Advertising agencies know this. It, the world already knows this, all right? Let, 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 me, give you, let me give you some, some uh, facts to support that. He, he, this is a quote. Research supports that if you want someone to look at your ad, advertising, put a woman in it. A photo of a woman will increase the length of time someone spends with an ad by 14 to 30%, way more than anything else you could put in an ad. Okay, so you got a magazine, okay? There's advertisements in it, right? People are selling binoculars and tires and, and wrenches and, and uh, hair pieces and whatever, you know? They're selling all this stuff. What do they put in the ad to make you look at it? Well, if they know what they're doing, they, they put a woman in there. You see that all the time, don't you? Muscle car magazines, you know? That's a whole different story. But the principle is the same. Why do they put women by those cars? They have nothing to do with the car. They don't know anything about the car. They want the guy to look at the car. They want, him to, hold, they, they want to hold his attention on the page. Interesting. In that same research, it doesn't matter. This is cool. It's just fascinating to me. It doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man looking at the ad. Interesting, isn't it? You see, we would just think it would be men. No, 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 no. No. You see, women understand this principle and, and, and intrinsically as well. It's a different spin on it, though. Okay? It's a different spin. But, 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 but they understand it. And, you know, my first clue to this, I've told you this before, but this is just a, 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 a real um, aha moment in my life. Is, is shortly after I came to Lincoln, we started being involved in, in taking men's, men's retreats and women's retreats. You know, and I would go on the men's retreat. I would not go on the women's retreat, but I would usually be at the church when they were, when they were leaving. One of the things I began to notice, when you go on a men's retreat, the guys, a lot of them don't even, don't, they don't even pack extra clothes. They're just like, this shirt's good, you know. And, and they don't shave, they don't comb their hair. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you know, they're like, my wife's not here. Why, why shave? You know, why, why comb my wife? You know, the women, when they go on the, it's, it's going to be all women. They're, they're going with all women and they're headed to a place where there's going to be all women in the stadium. I mean, talk about getting dolled up, you know. 
And at first I thought, that doesn't make any sense, you know? Why would you go? But you see, women understand this principle as well. Now, sometimes they don't manage it well. Sometimes it becomes a competitive comparison, you know? Feel bad about myself because you, <laughs> it's interesting. If, I'm interested in like just people. I, I just, I'm interested in people. You ever watch a room full of people when a beautiful woman enters in? I see this at, I sit at McDonald's a lot, especially on Tuesday mornings because I meet with a couple guys in discipleship. And so I'm there a lot just watching, you know, sometimes I'm there waiting for the guys to come in. And so I always sit where I can see the door and, and, and you'll, you'll see people come in and sometimes you'll see a really attractive woman come in. It's interesting, two groups of guys, okay, there's, there's Christian guys and I don't know for sure they're Christian guys, but I see how they react. I imagine they are, you know, they see her immediately, you know, where's my Egg McMuffin, you know, where's my... I'm going to get that piece of trash off the ground, you know. And, I mean, they're just, you know, boom. They're just off, okay. The non-Christian guys, they're like, you know. I mean, and I don't know. It could be a Christian guy that's just not doing well. You know, he's not, I, I don't know. But I, 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 I don't know their heart. That's what I'm trying to say. But you've got two groups of guys. Okay. The women are even more interesting to watch, you know. Because, I mean, some don't don't have much of an expression at all. But there's always the ones that are like... You know, I mean, it's kind of this disdain, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's really an interesting phenomenon that, that and my, my point with this is this, everybody already knows this. Okay. I don't, I don't have to even open my Bible to tell you this. It's in the Bible, but everybody already knows it. What do we do with it though? You see that? That's what, that's what really matters. A woman has this gift that God has given. And it's specifically for her husband. There are temptations that come with having that gift. Okay? A woman can be uniquely tempted to use her beauty to bring glory and attention to herself. We'll talk about that more in a minute. A woman can can be tempted to use her beauty to manipulate and control men. A woman can be tempted to use her beauty to find her identity. That, that's really a damaging thing for women. To find their identity in, in, in being beautiful. Or to find their identity in, in comparing themselves to other women. She may be tempted to, to use her beauty to flaunt it in ways that say to the world things that she doesn't really want to say. But the truth is, when her beauty is saved for one man, when she, she saves and guards as much as possible her beauty for one man, her husband, that, that gift becomes very valuable. Did you know that things that not everybody has are things that are more valuable, Right? If everybody had a hope diamond, would anybody go to the Smithsonian to see the one there? No. You see, things that are more rare, things that are not shared, things that are are private are more value. Now, here's where the big issue comes, okay? We're going to spend most of our time right here, okay? Why, Why is this important? Why would Paul stop and say, women, adorn yourselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self control? There's two reasons. We'll talk about the one later, and we'll talk about, the, I think, the biggest one first. The, the one we're going to talk about later is you don't want to give an image to the world that says something that you don't mean to say, okay? You, you don't want to use your beauty. You don't, you don't want to use it to say things like, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I'm, I'm all this, I'm glorious, okay? You don't want to say those things with the way you present yourself. But here's the big issue. You don't want to make a brother stumble, you know, as we gather together as a church, you know what I, what I really want to do? I, I want to be in relationships where I, I, I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ 
to, to love Jesus more, okay? In my conversations with Brian Motzik, I want to help him love Jesus more. In my, in my conversations with Randall, I want to help him follow Jesus. In my, my dealings with Fred, I want to help him to be a better husband and, and, a, and a better father. I, I, that's what we need to do that, that, that for each other, right? And the thing we don't want to do is we don't want to cause each other to stumble, okay? The opposite of that is if the way I live toward you causes you not to want to love Jesus, causes you for it to be harder for you to love Jesus, harder for you to live out your Christian life, harder for you to be holy. We do not want to do that. In fact, Matthew tells us that's a very dangerous thing as we think about our relationship with other people. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, it says, whoever causes one of these little ones, and by little ones, it's not just talking about children, it's talking about people in the faith, little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for you if he had a millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You see what Jesus is saying? He said it's a big deal to cause somebody to stumble in their faith. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide. Notice that word decide. It's a word of the will. Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 19 says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We want to live our lives in a way that builds up our brothers and sisters in Christ, that helps them to love Jesus and not hinders them from loving Jesus. Now, how does this play out? Let me, let me just be real specific. Again, you're not going to be mad at me, right? Okay, so I'm going I'm to just try to play this out and help you. And, and, and all the guys in the room already know what I'm about to tell you. The women in the room, I don't think do. And I don't think they do because they tell me they don't. Okay, here's what happens. Let's say that there is a woman who presents too much of herself. Okay, she dresses in a way that presents too much of what should be hidden. For her husband, too much of her beauty, Uh, she exposes too much, she reveals too much. What's going to happen is the men who see her, their brains are going to do something, okay? Their brains are going to respond to that. Why? Because God has made it. Don't don't begin to say, okay, here's where guys are. God made them that way. So if you have a problem with it, you got to take it up with God, okay? But but their brains are going to connect the dots. They're going to finish the picture, okay? Uh, If you were here for Josh Bullard's purity conference, he, he talked about something called the gestalt theory of continuation, I believe it is. And I meant to have him do a slide for us, but I didn't get to. So you're going to have to, if you can see this, some of you may not be able to see it, but I drew something on here. What is that? Tell me what it is. As soon as you recognize what it is, tell me. Triangle. They said triangle. What do you think? What is it? It's triangle, right? That's what, that's what you see. Do you really see a triangle? There's not a triangle on this page. There's nothing like it. Oh, you didn't get to see it. Sorry. All there is is three marks. Now, why, why did you say there's a triangle? Well, you say there's a triangle because you connected the dots in your mind. When you looked at that, your mind did something automatically, didn't it? You saw a partial picture, and so your mind connected the dots. You didn't have to try to do that. Your mind just did it. Okay, understand, understand, ladies. Ladies, understand this. Whenever a man sees a partial picture, his mind will automatically connect the dots. And so will yours, actually. Yours does the same thing. It's just not a temptation for you. Okay, now, now, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, has he sinned? No, not yet. Okay? He sees a woman. She's maybe not dressed as she should be. His, his mind does the automatic thing that his mind does, your mind does, women's mind, everybody's, humans do. Okay? Now, what happens now is he's in the midst of a battle. Okay? 
immediately he's in the midst of a battle. If he's a Christian man, he's in the midst of a battle. He, he wants to respond to what he is seeing in a way that is not sin. Now, let, me, let me try to explain the fierceness of this battle. How long does he have to fight? Well, John Piper, when he wrote the anthem in Akram that I've shared with a lot of our men, it's uh, had a battle lust. He said five seconds. When I heard him speak on it, he said really five seconds was being incredibly generous. And that was factoring in things like, you know, taking it from, from the initial sin down the road of lust. Okay. I would say one second. That would be my, my, my estimate. He has about one second to respond to what he's seen either sinfully or righteously. Okay. Now, now, do you, do you see the battle that, that begins to rage here? You know, he, he's got, and, and for him to respond righteously is going to demand action on his part, effort on his part. A lot of times, great effort to shut down what his mind and, 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 and body was created to shut that down and move his attention elsewhere to Christ and hold it there or to his wife or to some productive activity and, and, not, and not sin in his initial response. Okay? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What a Christian man would go through in a room full. You, you see what I'm saying? I, I, see, I don't, think, I don't think women understand that principle. I know they don't. Because you're not in that battle. This is especially compelling when you consider how, how many good Christian men are fighting valiantly against lust. I, I, I want you to know, I, I know so many incredible Christian men who, who devote themselves to purity. That's awesome, ladies. Don't you want more of those men? Don't you want more of those men in, in, in our town and in our world? I, I know men who will not walk down certain parts of a mall because of the posters that are going to be on the windows. I know men who, who put filters on their computer. You know, they, they don't go to pornographic sites, but they want to be make sure, so sure that they never do, that it's never a temptation. They put filters on their computer. They have accountability, people looking at their computer. I know guys who don't watch certain television shows. I know guys who don't watch television at all. I have one friend. He just won't watch it at all. He just said, you know what? I, I just don't want to fight that battle. He said, I don't want to even be tempted. I don't, I don't, I don't want those images. I don't want to deal with that. I'm just not going to watch it at all. I know guys that won't watch certain movies. I know guys that bounce their eyes off, off mannequins and, and newsstands. And what, what I mean by bounce their eyes is they, they see an initial image. They immediately pull their eyes away. I, I know guys who fight that 24-7. They're, they're, they're valiant warriors for Jesus. I know guys who, who with great effort will only look into the face of a beautiful woman who's not their wife, who meet weekly with accountability partners, who have made a covenant with God and other men to only think of their wife in a sexual way, to only enjoy the physical beauty of one woman on the entire planet, and that's their wife. And here's what I'm saying. Man, don't we want to help those guys? I mean, don't we want to say, yes, that's what we need. We need those kind of men. We need those kind of men who see women in the way that God has, has, has created women, who value women with that intensity. Those are the kind of young men we want to bring up in our church and in our community. And so what I'm saying is, ladies, shouldn't we help them? Shouldn't we help them? Isn't that a great idea? Let's help them. Let's not make that harder. You know, let's not say, okay, you want to have to fight. You know, I went ahead and pulled out this outfit. So y'all just get ready to fight. You know, uh, you got to be on your game today. You know, and what kind of attitude is that? We don't want to be like that. 
I thought of 2 Samuel 11. My wife had a long conversation. She and I had a long conversation last night about should I talk about this? Um, and I'm still, I don't know, I'm up in the air. I haven't gotten in trouble yet. So, But, but I've, I've gone to great lengths to try to help you understand what I'm about to say. I am in no way saying, let me tell you the story first. All right, David, uh, King David is on his rooftop. Should have been in battle. He wasn't. Should have been. On his rooftop, he sees Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. Um, he does not fight the battle. For whatever reason, he's weak that day. He, de- he didn't fight. He gives in to sin. He gives in to lust. He pursues that woman. He has a sexual relationship with her. He impregnates her. Um, when her husband comes back, he sends him off to war so that he will be killed, so that no one will know his sin. He marries her, and the sword never leaves his family. That's the story. Okay. Now, here, every time I've preached on that here at Lincoln Avenue, I've done what ought to be done. I have squarely pinned the blame on David. Okay? Psalm 32, Psalm 51, they all blame David. It was David's sin. David did not take care of what he should have took care of in his heart. And he blew his life. What could have been a stellar life, David blew. Now, he was forgiven. He, was, he repented. But David blew it. Okay? Now, in no way am I saying, I hate when people do this. You ever hear about a woman that got sexually assaulted and somebody in the community says, well, did you see how she dressed, though? She was, man, I want to punch that person in the face. I'm like, come on. I mean, that's ridiculous. Never do we want to shift the blame off of somebody who sinned. David sinned, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm affirming that. Okay, now, but what I also want you to think about, just think about it. Just, just, let's just guess. We don't know. We, we have no idea exactly what was, what was happening here. All we know is in verse 2 it says, It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And then David messes up. He sins. He inquires. He, he, you know. No. Okay. That's all we know. But what we don't know is, did, did she know that people could see her? Did she know that the palace rooftop was in view of her rooftop? Did she know that David was there? I mean, he should have been in battle. I, I, we, see, we don't know any of that. You know, we don't know what happened. We don't know if she was completely naked. We don't know if, pr- probably, more likely, she had like a robe. And, you know, in, in those days, you didn't have showers, you didn't have baths. So, you, you know, maybe she had a robe and, you know, she, you know, washed one pit. And then, you know, I, I don't know, you know. I don't know how they bathed 3,000 years ago. But uh, what I'm saying, we don't know anything about that. But let, let me just, let me just speculate. What if, what if, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from David's sin. But what if, what if she'd have been more careful? What, what if she would have made sure, I want to make sure nobody can see. I want to make sure that I'm not immodest anyway. I want to make sure that I don't reveal anything that was meant for Uriah, my husband, to anybody else. I'm just speculating, but. When I, when I take that route, man, there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't have happened. Uriah wouldn't have died. The sword wouldn't have, the, the, the son wouldn't have died. The, the son produced died. That was the punishment from God. The sword wouldn't have been in David's house. Amnon, Tamar, Absalom. If you know that story, wow. There would have been a lot of tragedy that would have been avoided. Okay. What are the specifics of what Paul's asking us to do here? Let's, let's go into our passage. Verse 9. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel 
with modesty and self-control. What the passage is talking about is how we adorn ourselves. The word adorn is from the Greek word cosmeo. It's where we get our word cosmetic. It means to arrange, to put in order, to make ready. Okay, we all adorned ourselves this morning. Did you know that? You, you arranged yourself to come to church, right? Probably nobody, I'm looking around here, probably nobody looks exactly like they looked when they got out of bed, right? I mean, is that true? Probably. I don't see any Scooby-Doo jammies and, you know, hair all messed up. Uh, probably nobody, I mean, you probably did something, right? I mean, you know, you probably took a shower. I, I shaved, shaved over here and underneath my neck. I got a lot of neck hair. Comes, You know, I took that off, you know. Um, uh, I put on, my mom got me this shirt. Uh, first time I got to wear it. You know? $5, she says. Is that a bargain? 39 years old, my mom's still buying my clothes. Isn't that great? Not all of them, but, you know, we saw her last. She's like, I, I was shopping. I found this great deal. I thought you'd like, you know, she's a sweet lady. I tell you, I love people buy me. You can buy me a shirt if you want to. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but anyway, I got this shirt on and, you know, we adorn ourselves. You know why? Because we want to present ourselves in a certain way, right? We want to present ourselves in a certain way. I wonder, some of you aren't from Lincoln. And so this may be a new church experience for you. I, for you, I wonder if you, if you think, why didn't he wear a suit and tie? Isn't that what a preacher's supposed to wear? I thought that's what I was supposed to preach. You know, you know why I don't? Because I, I, I want to present a certain image to you, okay? And what I've heard over the 14 years I've been here, I actually did wear a certain suit and tie when I first started. Remember that, Bonnie? Uh, what I've heard from, from the people in our community and the people that we minister to is, is that, that, that does not come across well. In other words, when they see a guy up here in a, in a suit and a tie, a lot of people who come to our church, what they think is, oh, I'm underdressed. Ew, maybe I shouldn't have come. I don't want anybody to think that. And so I try to strike right in the middle road. You know, I try to, try to just wear what everybody would be comfortable and they would feel comfortable. That, that's what I try to do, okay? Now, see, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to adorn myself to present an image that helps you in your faith, that helps people come to our church and feel comfortable here, that glorifies Jesus, you know? That's why I don't wear my bike shorts and my jersey when I'm here, right? What, what, what image would I present if I wore my bike shorts, you know, those little spandex, you know, with the, the big... Those are great. I tell you, well, I did not ride with those at first when Doc Kirkendall first got us riding. Me and Drew, we wore our cargo shorts, you know. About 30 miles, we were crying. We were like, help us, Lord. You know, so we found out they make shorts with big padding in them. That's great, you know. But what, what if I wore those? A little spandex, you know, my, my jersey with my pockets in the back, you know. You, you, know what you, you know what you would think? Idiot. That's what would come to your mind, wouldn't it? I mean, I'd be up here and you'd be like, what an idiot, you know? I mean, you wouldn't be lusting. You'd be like, yeah, I'm so embarrassed of that guy, you know? And, and so we want to present ourselves in a way that glorifies Jesus and that does not cause other people to sin. We want to present ourselves in a way that says, I value the right things. Notice, notice the things that Paul goes over here. He says, uh, he says in verse uh, 9 that uh, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, now again, we've got to remember the cultural aspect. Gold, pearls, and costly attire, not very many people had them back then, okay? I mean, everybody, I've got a gold ring. I have a wedding ring. I never take off. It means a very special thing to me that I'm married to Emma Dirks, and, and it's a good thing. And, and you have jewelry, most of you. You know, but it's cultural. Almost everybody has it, right? Uh, in, in Paul's day, they didn't. And so what 
what Paul is talking about here is don't dress in a way that, that's so flamboyant that basically gives the message, hey, I'm above all you peasants, okay? I got more than you. I, I'm better than you. I mean, you don't, don't, don't dress in a way that calls undue attention to yourself. I mean, that, that, that's what Paul's saying. Uh, don't, don't, don't dress modestly. Notice the word modestly there. The word modestly is from a word that means being free from shame. Modesty is an inward mechanism, okay? It's an inward mechanism that, that goes off inside of us that says, you know what? You, you, you shouldn't be wearing that, okay? If ever you put something on and there's that, that pit in your stomach that says, is this okay? Is it not okay? Okay, that's, that's modesty. That's modesty welling up, okay? Guys, on the other hand, usually don't have, we, we don't hardly know anything about that, you know, because we're usually, you know, it doesn't matter. What am I wearing? I don't know, you know. Um, I, I do have a story, though. I didn't share it with the first service. I shared it with the second service. It didn't go terrible, so I'm going to try it again. I only felt this one time in my 14 years at Lincoln Avenue. My wife had gotten me a shirt, and uh, I wore it. And the next day at church or something, whenever she got it to me, I wore it to church. It was like a button-down dress shirt. But it was a little snug, you know? And and when I when I was out there shaking hands, David and Paula's son, Jason, Jason Biffle, you know Jason, Jason's not shy about kidding you about anything, you know? And he goes through there and he's like, oh, pastor, you've been lifting weights, you know? And he, he kind of does, you know, this whole, I, I was embarrassed right away. I was like, oh, gosh, what am I wearing, you know? And, and I never wore that shirt again, you know? I, I put it, I threw it away, you know? I was like, I'm not wearing that again, you know? That's modesty, okay? Awakeness. Now, now that's what Paul wants. Now, now, here's the thing. Modesty can't be legislated. We've tried. We, we've, we've gone to Falls Creek before, and we've set strict dress codes, okay? You know, your shorts have to be so long. You know, your shirts have to have so, so much of a, you know, you know. You know the deal with that? Never works. Never. You know why? Because modesty is something on the inside. And, and you'll always find people, if they're not modest, they're going to push that envelope. They're, they're going to they're wear even what you tell them to wear, but not in a modest way. Because modesty comes from the inside. Modesty is that thing inside of us that says, I want to present myself in a way that glorifies Jesus. Okay? Now, what, what, is that, what does that look like? Notice, notice what verse 10 says here. Okay? It says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. You hear that? Women who profess godliness. See, we're not talking about the women of the world. We're not talking about women who don't love Jesus. We're talking about women who profess godliness. Women who say, hey, world, I am a born-again believer. I'm joined to Jesus Christ. Women who say, 1 Corinthians 6.10 is true of me, that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, women who profess godliness, notice, how do they want to present themselves? They want to adorn themselves in a certain way. And verse 10, the end of verse 10 says, with good works. Okay, now, that opens up a whole new, new can of worms here that we, we should not only be concerned about what we look like on the outside, we should be concerned about how do we present ourselves on the inside. You see, your outward clothing is only part, it's only part, of, of what, what Paul is talking about here. He's also talking about what do you present on the inside? What do you present on the inside? You see, it's really possible to be clothed very well on the outside, but not clothed well on the inside. It's also possible. Have you ever had this happen? I've had this happen. My wife and I have talked about it tons of times. You'll see a woman who is absolutely gorgeous on the outside, but as soon as you get to know her, you figure out she's not very pretty. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about her physical. I'm talking about what's on the inside. 
And, and that's real. You know, I, I know you've heard the cliche, beauty is, is you know, skin, it's on the inside. You know, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, all right, you know. That's true. I mean, that is true. Man, I tell you what, there is something winsome and appealing about a woman who is covered in joy, about a woman who's covered in grace and respect and class and honor. Man, I, tell, I can't tell you how many times I've pointed out to my family, do you see how that gal responds to her family and to her husband? That's beautiful. That's incredible. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. Man, I'll tell you, it's a beautiful thing when you see a woman who is not rattled and anxious and angry and irritable. I mean, you can see that on people, can't you? And and, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if somebody is absolutely beautiful on the outside. If they're wearing a necklace of irritability and they they have accented themselves with anxiety earrings and they have gossip painted all over their lips and if they have an ornate bitterness blouse on, that woman is not attractive. Not to anybody who knows her. Folks, we need to make ourselves appealing on the outside in a way that presents honor to Jesus and appealing as well on the inside. Some practical things real quick. What does that mean? Well, I think, ladies, a couple things. Um, I think the way that you present yourself should draw attention to the right things. What are the right things? Your face. It should draw attention to your face. Um, I think that's a good thing. I, Paul's, I don't think Paul's against cosmetics or fixing your hair, you know. Uh, I think that's good. And it should draw attention to your face. Guys, dads, man, be careful with your little girls. You know what I've tried to do with my little girls? A couple things. Number one, I want them to know they are gorgeous. I tell them that all the time. Don't I tell you that, Addie? I tell you that, don't I? Man, it... I got four girls. They're beautiful. I want them to know there is a guy in your life who thinks you are beautiful. And he has told you that from the time you came out of your mom's womb. I want them to know that. But number two, I also want them to know that there are other things that are just as important. More important. Things like your character. You know what I've done? I've, I've asked some of the men in this church. You know who you are. Some of the, just guys that have been here a long time, key men. As my little girls have been growing up, one of them's already in college. I've told those guys for the last decade, I've said, I, I'm glad that people point out how pretty my little girls are. We all do that to little girls, don't we? The little girl that came in this morning, first service, and she had, she had on a new dress. And I said, man, boy, you look pretty today. You know, I mean, that's what you do to little girls, don't you? You know, then they go, yeah, thanks. You know, and... I mean, we all do that. But you know what I also have done? I've said, guys, I've told some key men this. I want you to look for things in my girls, not, not outward beauty, but I want you to look for beautiful characteristics of their character. And I want you to make sure you point those out. Hopefully they've done that. I've asked them to do that. I hope that, and I think my girls have, because I've seen it happen. I've seen them say, hey, I saw the way you handled that situation. That was really classy. That was really, that was really attractive. I saw, I saw how, 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 how you handle yourself among the other kids. I, I want my girls to hear that. Because I, I want them to be concerned, not only with what's on the outside, but I want them to see that, man, when you have a husband someday, he's not only going to be attracted to your outer beauty, 
But man, he is going to be attracted to joy and, and to honor and to respect and to kindness and to mercy. That's a beautiful thing to see a gracious woman, isn't it? Man, I love that. I love that. My son, man, he is, he is attracted to the gracious women in this church, you know, that, that put up with him. I mean, you know, there, there's several that do it really well. They just, you know, no matter how squirrely he acts, they just act like he's cool. And, man, he's like, yeah, you know, someone thinks it, you know. That's a, that's a good thing. Thank you for doing that. Well, I'm out of time. Um, how, how do you know what's modest and what's not? I'm not even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole because there's where I'd get really in trouble. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, I think, the best piece of advice I can. Ladies, ask a godly guy. If you're a 15-year-old girl and you've got an 18-year-old brother, ask him. He knows. Um, if you've got a dad, ask your dad. If you had a husband, ask your husband. If, you, if you're unsure, I think most, you know, you, you probably got an area, I know this is, I know this isn't. I'm not sure about this, okay? Just, just ask a godly guy. They know. Ladies, thank you. Um, I forgot to say this in the second service. There's, there's so many women here at Lincoln Avenue who do an outstanding job with this. Thank, thank you. And I know, I, know, I know why you do it. You do it because you love your brother in Christ. Amen. Good job. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Um, thank you, Lord, for the spiritual battle. Thank you, Lord, for... Um, for men and women who, who look out for each other in the faith. God, help us to do that well in our small groups. And Lord, as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, I pray, God, that you would help us to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for our sins. May it be a special time as we conclude our service. In Jesus' name, amen.